Trouble with Transformation, a serialised podcast by Alison Whip. Chapter 16, Back from the Dead. Ever since Mr B sprung us at the surf club, Cat had been uncharacteristically clingy. I couldn't be on my own for more than a few minutes without her poking her head in. It was driving me nuts because all I wanted to do was find out what was on that memory stick. So on Tuesday after school, we went to Danny's. It wasn't that much better in terms of privacy, but at least we had half a chance of getting in some detective work between Mrs Costa's snack rounds. Plus I had other reasons. Mr B might have been watching me, but now I was watching him too. I didn't want him or any other covert stalker finding out what was on that drive. When we plugged the memory stick into Danny's computer, a movie player app appeared on the screen. It was a few meg in size, so it took a couple of moments for the media file to open. A live version of Dr Wilson popped into view, and my heart gave a start. He looked almost the same as he had in the newspaper photos. A little older, maybe. A few more lines around the eyes and mouth. More silver in his hair. His face had a hard-boiled handsomeness to it, a bit like Tom Hardy in Venom. His eyes were piercing blue, almost transparent. Dan, I'm not going to lie. He gave me the shivers. This dead person looking out from Danny's obscenely large computer screen. But when Dr Wilson commenced with the standard, if you're watching this, then I'm deadline, I couldn't hold back a snort. Danny shot me a dirty look pausing the playback. It's nothing to laugh about, G. The guy really is dead for one thing. I'm sorry. It's just so... cliché. I resumed the video and Dr Wilson came back to life. You're probably wondering who I am. As you might have figured out by now, I'm not actually a waiter at the Golden Crab Claw. My name's Leonard Wilson, and I worked with your father. Not in the recording business, of course. That was just his cover. Ha! I choked back a bitter laugh. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Now tell us something we don't know. Come on, G, Danny grumbled. We'll be here all night if you keep on this way. Let the dead man speak. Fine, I shrugged half-heartedly and tuned back into Dr Wilson. We were both government physicists, he was saying. Your father did some work here in Australia, then I joined his team in the UK. Our job was to come up with new, environmentally friendly forms of transport. Terry's success in the music industry was accidental. He was supposed to release a few low-profile records, enough to pass as a legitimate career. But typical Terry, doing a halfway job wasn't good enough. Instead, he produced something phenomenal and sold millions. It was ironic that his cover became the very thing that placed us all at risk of exposure. But I'm getting off topic. The projects we were working on were top secret. If we got it right, the British government would have held the crowning seat at the world table. Your father got fixated on his own side project, though. 
He believed the transport of the future would challenge the known laws of nature. In layman's terms, the temporary dissolution of the human form into atoms and the reformation of that matter as a whole at a separate point of destination. If you've ever watched Star Trek, you'll be aware of the concept. But to Terry, it wasn't the stuff of science fiction. His experiments tested the boundaries of established physical theory and showed a lot of promise, with one very critical flaw. He couldn't manage to transport any living thing and find it alive at the other end. He lost a lot of lab mice and frogs that way. He was ready to admit defeat when he realised something amazing, something equally groundbreaking. He noticed that when the transportee dissolved into its individual atoms, it also drew upon the environment within the transporter, taking other matter with it. At the destination end, the matter would reform to make other structures, different from its original identity. The process is referred to in our circles as quantum entanglement. At first Terry's results were a mixed bag, but eventually he realised the original composition wasn't as important as the vibration of each object. All objects, both inanimate and animate, have a pattern of energy that is unique to their structure and composition. Your dad worked out that if he could trace and record a number of patterns, he could take any object at one end and convert the matter into an object of his choosing at the other. He still had a lot of work to do to perfect the process. He was just transforming basic things like spoons into forks at first but it was obvious that the implications of his findings were far-reaching. Danny and I turned to each other and gaped. I paused the playback. So what he's saying is Terry pretty much invented a transformation machine? You zap it at one end and shebang, it turns into something else? I massaged my temples, trying to process what we'd just heard. Do you think he's for real? Well, he is dead, so it stands to reason that whatever he was involved with, it was big. Danny's finger twitched over the play icon, impatient to keep going. Yeah, but who actually wanted him dead? I mean, dead. Maybe if we let Dr. Wilson finish, we might find out, he said, raising an eyebrow. I poked my tongue at him, but pressed play anyway. Dr. Wilson started up again. Terry had been working on the project in his own time. I had no idea until one day he invited me over for dinner and told me everything. Of course I was amazed and thrilled. We were so excited about Terry's discovery. We didn't imagine all the dangers that come with a machine like that. We were too busy dreaming. We didn't think on how the device could be used to mass-produce weapons or generate currency. This was taking technology such as 3D printing to the next level, creating something from basic subatomic particles, instantly. In the hands of a big-time criminal, terrorist, or even a well-meaning idealist, Terry's machine was a threat to civilization as we know it. What's he on about? I sighed his to Danny. His eyes didn't leave Dr. Wilson's face. He waved a dismissive hand and shushed me. Don't shush, I started. 
But Dr. Wilson levelled his cold, clear eyes at me through the screen and the rest of the words caught in my throat. Imagine a world where people didn't need to earn a living to pay for what they wanted, he said. They could just go to their machine and order it. Everything we believe in and currently live for on a daily basis would be compromised. The global economy would collapse. That was the threat that Terry's machine posed, and we were naive enough to think that nobody else could see that. Not long after Terry made his discovery, another colleague of ours came sniffing around. Owen Makepeace. A short while later, Terry disappeared. When he didn't resurface, I figured he was dead. Killed off by the government because his machine was too dangerous. But a couple of months ago, a friend came to visit. An ex-scientist made of Terry's and mine, who was doing some underground environmental activist stuff back in Australia. When this guy, let's call him Jim, came to visit, he delivered a message from Terry. Jim told me that Terry wasn't dead and that a few of his off-the-radar friends had been hiding him here in Australia for years. I guess because Jim was doing his lefty tree-hugger stuff, nobody thought to check him or his associates. Your dad got lucky. These MI6 agents don't miss much. The searing burn in my belly was back. I side-glanced at Danny and caught him trying to sneak a side-glance at me. What? I challenged, eyes flashing. The last thing I wanted was to be Danny's pity case. Nothing. He immediately looked away, but not before I registered the liquid shimmer in his eyes. Fine then, I said. My jaw tensed eyes prickling the way they do when I need to sneeze. Or cry. Let's focus, shall we? We'd missed a little of Dr Wilson's narrative, but caught him just as he said. Jim told me Terry's been trying to recreate his transformation device, but he's missing some of his critical calculations. Without them, the device won't function properly. Terry told Jim that prior to his disappearance, he suspected someone was after him. So he hid his notebook, formulae and blueprints for the transformation device somewhere in the London townhouse he shared with Kat. The trouble is, he hid it so well, even he can't remember where he put it. The only thing he could tell Jim was that he hid it somewhere ironic, somewhere nobody who knew him would think to look. Dr Wilson's face glowed with quiet intensity as he said this last part. I broke out into the shivers all over again. It was like he was in the room with us, peering into our souls with those eerie, iridescent eyes. That's why Jim and Terry came to me. They thought I could somehow help them recover it. Initially the plan was for me to sneak into the house so as not to drag you or Kat into it. But Kat's security system is too effective and there are always people coming and going from the house. At all hours. Dr Wilson's mouth quirked in a vague semblance of a smile. That mother of yours hasn't changed a bit. Anyway, I'm a scientist, not a spy, so it soon became obvious I needed someone on the inside. I hope you can help me. 
Okay, Dad, I'm going to stop here a moment and get real. When Dr. Wilson said all that stuff, when I found out you'd been alive all along and you hadn't even bothered to send some kind of sign to Kat or me to let us know you were okay, well, to say I was fuming doesn't even remotely cover it. Think blazing bushfire. Think bushfire that rages for days and raises every house in its path to the ground kind of rage. But then you took it to a whole other level. Smouldering ashes, post-apocalypse level. When you reached out to Dr. Wilson, it wasn't to finally tell Kat and me that you were okay. Of course not. You couldn't be bothered with that. Why would we be priorities after all these years? No, it was that stupid machine you were after. That stupid, malignant machine. That scumbag, I said with an intensity that made Danny jump. I jabbed the pause icon. How dare he? After all these years. All these years we thought he was dead. And all he can think of is that dumb device in his festy notebook. I'll find it for him, all right. I'll find it and burn it. I yanked the memory stick from the computer. I had the sudden urge to hurl it against the wall. Danny, eyes bright with shock, laid a protective hand on the hard drive. My hand hovered in the air, rabbit heart beating a hundred k's a minute. My wild gaze met Danny's, soothing like aloe vera on a blistering sunburn. The trapped air freed from my lungs. I sighed it out and let the stick drop onto the desk. Just a little note would have been nice, you know, I said in a small voice. I didn't trust myself to lift my eyes from the desktop. I know, Danny said. He nudged my elbow with his. When I finally did look up, he smiled, warm and reassuring. My eyes prickled dangerously, so I just snorted. Brushing it off like discovering your dead dad wasn't so dead was an everyday occurrence. We watched the rest of Dr. Wilson's narrative in silence. Dr. Wilson didn't have much more to add, other than to reiterate that he didn't have the first clue where to start looking. He gave instructions on how to contact Jim when the time came, and finally he issued a warning. Keep a low profile and get on with things as normal. If I've been careful enough, no one should suspect what you're up to. You can't share this information with anyone. You never know who could turn out to be a government mole. The pit of my stomach plunged. Well, there goes any hope of bringing in the police. Danny's eyes squeezed shut, as though trying to block out the enormity of our situation. You're right, G. It's just you and me now.